You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right. That's what I love to hear. Um, happy Super Bowl Sunday for those of you who might watch the game or eat good food or watch commercials or whatever it is you're going to do. Um, you know, I, I've been, whether it's associate or now lead pastor since around 2004. So, like, that's a lot of years now. Um, you can see the gray. That's where that comes from. That are my kids. I don't know who gets the blame. Um, we'll give it to them. They're not here right now. So, uh, but, but like throughout that whole time, like the Patriots were like in the Super Bowl almost like half those years. And uh, I remember the attendance was always jammed on those AFC championship. And like some of you are like just here to pray for the Patriots, you know, <laughs> like guys, they didn't need their prayers now, then they need it now, right? That's when they need their prayers right now. Uh, but hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy uh, that. And, you know, we've been in Ecclesiastes and we're going kind of just fast and we're taking these by sections and we're spending one week this week in section three. You know how much of a challenge that is for me. So uh, pray for me. And it's, um, it's actually from chapter six through verse 15 of chapter eight. We won't look at it all. Don't panic. But um, I'm not sure if, uh, and it's, if you remember the Hebrew name Koheleth, which means the gatherer or the one who preaches. So the words of the preacher. And I'm not sure if he meant to go there with this section, but this is where I went, right? And, and if, you, if you're newer to the church, you haven't seen this illustration yet, but if you've been around a little bit, it's, it's maybe my favorite. It's, I mean, I think the group of hope is probably everyone's favorite, but this one um, I think really helps, and I really beefed it up this time. For those of you who are, oh, it's heavy, I'm going to hurt my back. Okay. It's also really, really comfortable. Um, and... Uh, and it should be, because I think sometimes we just get this comfort about, and, and what this is, if you've never seen it, this beautiful note just says, my life. This is a throne, okay? It's kind of a pathetic throne, but that's, I mean, what would you expect for the throne of my life to be, right? And, and yet, if this is the throne of my life, the question is, and, and I really mean this, not just we're in church, oh yeah, God's on the throne, and, and maybe he is, I'm not belittling that. But I want you, we always want to ask the question, who's on this throne? Because that becomes the key to so many of our problems. Is I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't say this because I'm a Christian, so we, we learned a long time ago not to say things like, excuse me, God, um, let, let me just, just for now, just for this situation, just for today, just for, right? And then she's like, okay, God, you, you can have it now, right? And, and, and yet, how much of a mess we make when we do that. And the preacher is going to get um, specific, two specific subjects in this section. One is that I think we can try to control our lives. What I mean by that is the satisfaction of our lives through pleasure, honor, glory, success. Things that aren't necessarily sinful. We've seen that throughout this book. But actually thinking, if I can get enough of this, I'll be satisfied. And the second one is wisdom and knowledge, which again is good in of itself. We'll see that. But if I can just know enough and figure life out enough, I got this. But here's the problem. Most of you know that's not the case, but especially the younger you are, you may not. You may even be sitting here going, you know what? I was dragged here. To be honest, I, I think that I got this. I've actually made some success and satisfaction in my life, Jamie. I'm actually pretty happy. I don't know why you say <clears throat> that I need God. And here's the thing. Even if that's you, or will be you, there's this problem that I named our message uh, this week, the final problem. And I actually stole that. I don't know any Sherlock Holmes nerds. I know I'm one. I don't know. Not many of you. Okay. Well, uh, and uh, we recently watched the, the shows. I've watched, I've read the stories many times and in uh, um, the recent show, well, like 
now it's probably like 15 years ago, but uh, with Cumberbatch, that series from the BBC. And we watched it again because my, my daughter was interested. In, and uh, the very last episode we watched recently was called The Final Problem. And I said, that's a cool title. I'm stealing it, right? But the final problem the preacher keeps coming to, right, is no matter how much you think you have control, the final problem, <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Because it's coming. It's coming. And what we're going to see, if we like to try to avoid it, like to try not to think about it, I got this, I got this, but everybody faces the final problem. And guess what? You lose. I know, cheerful subject so far today. But you lose but God. You lose without God. With God, the final problem is dealt with. Let's pray as we look at Ecclesiastes together. Father, you, your word is true and right and good. And as I look around this room and I think of those joining us even from home or online, Lord, how different we all are in so many ways, ages, experiences, places in life, single, married, divorced, widowed, um, jobless, great jobs, uh, just so many different struggles and good things. And Lord, yet we are all united by one thing. We need you desperately, desperately. And so, Father, I pray because you know all of our situations. I most certainly do not and could never, but you do. And so that you would speak through your truth, wisdom into our hearts, whether it's our students in the room, our, our elderly, our senior citizens in the room, and everywhere in between, to you would change us for for your glory and for our betterment. And it's in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. 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 So I'm going to be kind of going through it a little bit quickly, so you may just want to look at the screen. But if you want to follow along, um, we're going to be starting in, in chapter 6. Um, chapter 6 is um, it, it, it's kind of a brief chapter, and, and, it's, and it's really just dealing with a subject we've already seen, if you've been with us, in Ecclesiastes. right? And it's just going to kind of talk about that whole idea of the good things in life. Enjoying them. It's not a lot of times people accuse the writer of the preacher of being hedonistic. Like just eat, drink, you know, get drunk and have your fill. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's good things in life. Right? There's good food, there's good drink, there's good family, there's good friends, there's good in life. Enjoy it, right? So you say, like, we're not this like somber religious crowd that says, reject it all. It's just there is to a point. Because if you make it all about that, it's empty. Watch what he says. He says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy. That's a heavy word, isn't it? Heavy on mankind. He says, a man to whom, look at this picture with me, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. That's a picture, huh? That's evil? That's heavy? That's like basically God's spoiled brat is what the preacher gives us there, right? It's, it's an over-the-top, right, hyperbole. He's saying, imagine there's a person, and he literally or she literally has everything they could possibly desire. He does make note, be very clear, it's all a gift from God, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, not sure what you believe, right, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything you have that is good is a gift from God. And he says, and yet, this person, it lays heavy in our hearts that, that we could have everything, right, everything, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. So, again, there's these two categories. All of us have them. 
good things God's given us, right? But a second category, and that is the ability to enjoy them. <laughs> because if we don't have that second category. We can have everything possible over here and we're miserable. We're miserable. Because you have to have the ability to enjoy them. He keeps up the, the hyperbole language here, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children, I don't know about you, but that sounds horrible to me. <laughs> I got two and I love them, but that's good, right? You know? Um, but in their culture, that's a symbol, right, of prosperity and blessing, right? So, so you got this guy. He's got 100 kids. He lives many years. Later on, he's going to say 2,000 years. So, again, it's not real. It's a picture of, like, the height of having stuff. So that the days of the years are many, but his soul, look, is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. Look, look, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. <laughs> Really, look at that. He's trying to get your attention. You got this person who has everything he could possibly have, but if he is not satisfied, so he doesn't have the second thing, the gift from God to enjoy them, then he may as well have been dead coming out of his mother's womb because there's no point. It's empty, right? It's, it's empty. Um, the, the, the stuff of this world is actually, if that's all we have, it's actually worse than if we just never lived life at all. He, he, he continues with that, saying, call, talking about the stillborn child, it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness, his name is covered. Moreover, it has not even seen the sun or known anything, right? It hasn't even lived. Yet it finds rest rather than he. Rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place so there is this, this, this life, and it's empty if you don't have the second gift, right? You have the stuff, but what's the gift to enjoy the stuff? The gift is God himself. That's where the preacher's going to go. To, to know the stuff of God and think that's what's going to do it, but to not know God himself, you may as well have just died before you even lived. He's making it clear. He's not saying, hey, it's still a pretty decent life. He's saying, no, 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 it's worthless and empty if you do not have the ability to enjoy what you have. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. And let me just skip ahead to the conclusion of this aspect, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and the striving after wind. If you were here last week, I told you a story when I was like three, and um, my mom babysat these, these brothers, and we were sitting around uh, the dining room table with crayons, and I had the crayons in front of me, but I was going to have the crayons in front of him, and I leaped across the table, and the table smashed my tooth up into my gum, and that's why they're screwed up to this day, right? And I told you that story, and the reason I, I remind you of it is that's what he's saying, okay? He's saying, be content and satisfied with your crayons. And for you, so maybe not, your crayons, it might be your car or your home or your job or your wife or your husband or your singleness. or you know, just, just be, It doesn't mean you don't pray for other things. It doesn't mean you don't try. It just means be content and satisfied. And the only way to do that is to know the one who gave them to you. So uh, the, the idea with this is pleasure without God is empty. Again, pleasure is not wrong. But if it's the end game for you, it is. I brought, if uh, any of our kids who have come to v, uh, VBS, you'll rec even if you came 100 years ago, you'll recognize this, all right? Um, 
boy, is this old. And uh, yeah, it's so cool. And we usually uh, compete, boys versus girls. And there's usually a lot of screeching going on. And then Mrs. Bundy squells all of that real quick. Um, and, and yet, I wanted to bring it out. It's a scale, right? And, and I think his whole point is, if you have, like, imagine a scale, and you have whatever is good in your life, pleasurable in your life, whatever that is, right? And you're like, all right, all right. And you put it on the scale, and you're actually saying, I, I need to have more, more, more of this, more of this, right? Like, it just, it, it's empty in the end. Right? It, it, it actually does nothing for you if this is all you're after. And what you need is the second part of that gift to satisfied, and that is God. And so now instead of saying, I gotta keep filling up my 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 bucket, right? Like like and, and it's just all and it's just doing nothing for you, you have God, and now whatever's in your bucket, whatever it is that's in your bucket, you enjoy it and you're satisfied with it because you know God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying without God, this is useless. It's empty. Right, we'll come back to that. But I want to bring it back to the throne. What he's saying is there is this idea that I can control my life through pleasure, experience, honor, you name it. And he's saying you got to get off the throne and you got to let God on it. Because what happens is when we're on the throne and we think it's all about the bucket of stuff is we begin to see the flaws uh, of the things in our life. And that's all we see, right? I see the flaws of my spouse, not the blessing that she is or he is. I see the, 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 the flaws of my job. I see the flaws of my neighbor. I see the flaws of my bank account. Anybody else? I mean, I... Right? And, 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 and I'm not saying, you know, there isn't betterment to be had. I'm just saying that then, then it's all, we begin to look at other people's crayons and say, I need that, I need that. And down into the bucket you go, the bucket of emptiness, you get off the throne and you say, I'm going to trust God to be very deliberate, right? Because those wandering eyes only see mirages, you're better. Your life is better. No, it's not. Or, or here's what the world tells us. You deserve. And I don't know if you've ever had a pastor tell you this. It doesn't make me very popular, but it's just the truth. No, you don't. You don't deserve. What do we deserve? <laughs> I don't have time for it, but the scriptures will tell us we deserve judgment and death. And we've been given the pleasures and mighty grace of God. You don't deserve, right? And yet God will give. But all he's looking for is to say, I shouldn't be on the throne. Stop looking around. And, and what about a prayer like this? God, help me today to be satisfied and content with this job, this family, this marriage, this singleness, this situation. Help me to know because I have you, God, and you're enough. You're enough. That's faith. That's trust. Now, um, chapter 7, he starts to talk a lot like the Proverbs. You know the Proverbs? Which is why we think it's Solomon, because it's a lot like. So the Proverbs are these short sayings of practical truth, right? And really the Proverbs loves, like chapter 7, loves to, to compete, show you two competitors, the wise and the fool. Wise and the fool. And it really boils down to this, and he's way more poetic than I am. But the wise is someone who practically lives out what God has laid out. 
So you practically live out. I've heard someone once said, it's better for you to know five verses and actually live it out than know the entire Bible and not do any of it. You can know stuff, but you do stuff. That's the wisdom, right? You gain wisdom from God. So the fool, you can have 17 degrees from the highest universities, the biggest bank accounts, all of the trophies, and yet if you do all of that and seek all of that apart from God, the Bible says you're a fool. You're not just like a, a, an ignorant clown. You are, no offense to clowns in the room, okay, I know. But like, oh, he's a goofball, he's a fool. That's how we use the word. Bible uses the fool as someone who says, I can be on the throne of my life. And the problem is the final problem eventually. And so in chapter 7, he gives these, this, this wisdom. And, and eventually we land, and you'll see that, we land where it's just like pleasure. That wisdom is good, but if your be-all and end-all is wisdom and knowledge, you're not, it's going to be just as empty as the pleasure. But before he gets there, I want you to see where he says, but in this life under the sun, wisdom's good. You should want it. It makes life better, right, by and large, right? Like, for instance, he says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And, and, and like in English, it misses, but in Hebrew, those are almost the exact same words, um, perfume and name. And so he's, he's using that. Uh, that we miss in English, and I just think that's kind of cool. But then he says something that really, again, should bring us back to reality. He says the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, he's not saying, I don't think here, that when you die, it's better than when you were born, because that's pretty depressing. I think this clarifies it. Let me keep going with it. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning, so the day of death, than to go to the house of feasting, like a birthday party. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. So he said, again, he's not saying don't go to a feast. Some of you are going to a feast today to watch a football game. He's not saying don't do that. That's stupid, right? He's, he, he's saying that there is far more wisdom to be gained at a funeral than at a birthday party. And too many people, as we see, ignore and avoid the funeral at all costs because they don't want to think about the realities of life and instead get lost in the feasting and the mirth of all of that. But wisdom is to be gained in those places as hard as they are. I told you a few weeks ago that as a, a pastor, I'm, I'm around funerals all the time. I often will do uh, funerals of people I've never met until it's time to do the funeral or a few days before. And, um, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not like, like broken up and sad about somebody who I never knew. You know what I mean? Like, and we're like, oh, I'm going to miss Joe. Like, I didn't know Joe, right? If you're Joe, I'm not talking about you, all right? Um, and, and, and yet, I often get choked up and emotional. I remember a couple years ago, they, there was this um, father and grandfather that, that they were saying goodbye to. We had this service for. And, and I just remember getting really, really choked up. And it was because I started thinking of my own dad, who he's going to be 81, or he's 81 now. I mean, what rate he's going, he'll make it to 101, but who knows? And it's just a facing a tough fact. And then I started thinking about my own kids. Am I going to live to have grandkids? You never know, right? And I understand. You're like, well, that's kind of depressing. And, and, and I'm not saying every day, every minute of every day you think like that. He's just saying you've got to have moments like that where you, 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 you come face to face with the reality of life. That's where wisdom is found. Because you realize how quick everything is. You realize what's really important. And it changes you. I go to a birthday party and have a few laughs. It doesn't really change me. It might be nice, but it doesn't change. I go to a funeral and I'm choked up. and I start to think, I need to be a better father. 
Like, I don't know how much time I got, right? That's wisdom. And you start to actually learn from that. He, he says, sorrow is better than laughter. For by, and he's saying for wisdom's sake, right? It's not saying you should always be sad. For by sadness of face, the heart is then made glad. The heart of the wise is, the house, is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So there it is. Right? Again, a house of mirth is a place of laughter and, and partying and pleasure. And it doesn't necessarily, couldn't be wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean you should never have that. He's saying, if you're constantly seeking that, that's how I'm going to be filled every day with this. He's saying, you're a fool. You're a fool. You'll never gain wisdom. You just won't if you're always looking for that, that pleasure. He says, it is Better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise and hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11. This is kind of where he settles on this. Wisdom is good. It is. With an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun, right? Those of you who are living, you should want wisdom. You should want to live out what God has laid out. This is why protection of wisdom, it's like the protection of money. It's a resource. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So, right, as long as we remember that wisdom is from God for the glory of God, wisdom's good. You want that. You want to learn God's truth. But here's the thing. Throughout, that really struck me. Throughout chapter 7, the preacher describes the fool as someone who continually tries to pursue mirth as an escape of reality. Constantly seeking entertainment, distraction, fun, so he or she does not have to face the seriousness of life. In a way, that's a person... And, and what we do when we do this, we get on the throne of our life and we try to push all of these kinds of thoughts to the outskirts. We can't push them completely away. But we try to. And we escape. Now we live, I don't know if you've noticed this, in a generation, the preacher was saying this a long time ago, if he saw our generation, and I'm not just talking about an age, I'm talking about just us, in the West certainly, is there anyone who's ever, <laughs> ever um, gotten to the point to where we can distract or entertain ourselves to death. It's us. I'm not sure when exactly it began. I don't know if it's television, but now we have 72 different streaming services. You can watch anything you want at any time at, on your phone. We have these devices. I mean, gosh, we think about 10 years ago. That, that, and then we had these devices, but the thing, now it's like I can talk to anyone I want, I can buy anything I want, I can do anything I want, and I can constantly scroll, 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 scroll. You know what the, 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 the latest thing is? Virtual reality. You heard of the metaverse? We even had a, a somewhat um, funny, intense discussion at our elders retreat last year of thinking about, we may want to think about buying a plot to build a church in the metaverse. And the guys were like, well, that's stupid. We don't want to encourage that. But I'm like, yeah, but some people are going to live most of their life in the metaverse. You've got to try to reach them for the gospel. And we haven't done that yet. But think about it. That's where we go. I mean, there's old sci-fi movies. You're like, wow, it's coming true. And I just bring it up today because I think that's what the preacher is saying, is that, is that how foolish it is to just pursue anything to distract about 15 years ago, they started noting that about a, a, a quarter to a third of divorce papers mentioned Facebook. Now it's everything, but that was when Facebook was king. Now we have um, 
couples counseling, we hear things now that we never heard before. Like, she's always on her phone. He's always on his video games, escaping reality. Again, the phone isn't bad in of itself. The video game isn't necessarily bad in of itself. But if you're escaping, 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 have you noticed, have you noticed that we live in a generation that has the greatest ability to escape and entertain ourselves, and yet we are the most anxious, depressed generation there ever has been? I'm not saying, I'm no psychologist. I'm sure there's other factors. I'm just saying there is a correlation there that we're never coming face to face with the realities of life because we're constantly scrolling and watching and listening and doing because we don't want to think. I would say to our students, we have a lot of students in the room, have all this weekend. Honestly, what I said last night is, I'm sorry of what our generation has done to you. But it's not going away. And I'm not telling you, I'm not, this is not a, a social media is evil or don't be on Snapchat. I, real, I have two kids. One's going to be 20, one's going to be 17. I get it. Technology, it's like breathing to you. So I, I get that. I'm just saying, nobody's going to stop and say, all right, all of that is terrible for you. You're going to have to get control. We, all ages, have to get control of it. And realize there has to be times where we face reality. We take a walk, we go for a run, we, we, we think, we, we go to a funeral. Gosh, just do, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you know someone in your life who's literally never set foot in a church, even for a wedding or a funeral. Raise your hand. Almost all of us. I trust you, if you didn't raise your hand, you do. You just didn't, you haven't asked. Ask, start asking. You ever been in a church before? No. There's some people don't even have funerals, or they, they do these things called celebrations of life, even though they're dead, um, and, and they're, they're, they go to like a hall, and usually there's alcohol, and they just tell stories. And they're all, and, and the stories, it's better than nothing, but nobody's facing the fact that what do we do about the final problem? What do we do about it? And, 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 and so the, the idea here is, is that the preacher says, if you are constantly trying to escape through Empty laughter or pleasure, you got to become more wise and go back to the throne of God and ask him. Ask him for help. Get off the throne of your life and ask him for wisdom. And in and, and, and chapter 7, again, like I, I, I already warned you, he turns it. He says, wisdom's good, but I'm not going to give you all the, all the verses. I just want to give you right where he concludes because, just be honest, the Koheleth, he's far more wise than any one of us in this room. And this is what he says. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. He says, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Not me. I don't have a clue. That's what he's saying. After all of this, all of my study, all of my wisdom, all of my, I look at God and I, I got nothing. I got nothing. It's like Job. All these terrible things happened to Job. And he's like talking to God, right? And God, what did God finally respond to and say, you know nothing, man. You know nothing. I'm God. That's the point. It's not that you can attain to a certain level where you can control life. It's you need to get off the throne and recognize you never will. You never will. And so it's not just pleasure, but wisdom and knowledge without God is empty. I only had two buckets, so I had to get resourceful. So on the other side of this one is wisdom and knowledge. So if that's you, I don't care about pleasure. I'm going to understand and I'm going to figure things out and I'm going to manipulate those people around me. Right? I'm going I'm to know so much and succeed so much, right? And this same thing will happen. It's empty. 
It's empty. Wisdom and, and knowledge is beautiful and good if you have God. If you have God, that's the key, right? So, so again, on the throne, right? I, I, I am going to understand and manipulate it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And the preacher says, no, you aren't. You've got to get off the throne with your wisdom and recognize God is on it. God is on the throne. You know, one of my fears this weekend, this is actually a fear of mine a lot when I preach. It's the fear that there's someone or someones right now in this room or watching on that online that someone here is ready to give up. Because I've had so many conversations with people who, and what happens is your heart starts to get hardened. You surround yourself with people who don't know God because they tell you it's okay and you are looking to give up. Maybe it's on life itself. Maybe it's on battling that addiction that you know God wants, but you're just tired. Maybe it's give up on your marriage, or maybe it's give up on whatever it is, and you're just tired. Maybe you've even said something like, I have tried God. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever said that? You guys, God's not a pair of pants that you try on. He's someone to trust, not try. Even when you don't see it. Remember, he's God. You see, I'm not saying stay, you know, like I never want you to hear me when I say these things that like you should stay in some kind of an abusive, harmful relationship or something like that. We can help you. Come see us. We'll help you. I'm just saying that when you're looking at another pile of crayons, right, because, because this isn't enough and all I see is the flaws is, is I want to give up. And I'm telling you, I know you don't think this is true because this is true in my life. You don't think I've given up on things or almost. There's even things in my life right now that there are moments where I'm like, I want to give up. Even though I know God wants it, I want to give up. It's too hard, I don't, right? You've been there, or you're just not being honest, and you're just scrolling endlessly and not thinking. But once you think, you're like, oh my gosh, I want to give up. And I'm just telling you, the answer isn't to give up. It's to get off. Get off. You may not think it, but you are. You're like, no, no, no. Most of it's yours, God, but I'm sitting on the throne of my life for my marriage or my singleness or my sexuality or my, my money or my time or my job or my whatever it is. And, you, and, and the answer, if you're feeling like, I just want to give up, I can't do it, I don't know, is get off the throne and say, God, you're on it. You're on it. You're on it. I can't tell you. I have to do that multiple times a day, not just like once in a while. God, I'm on the throne again. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I need to get off. I need to let you have it. And so I can breathe and I can trust. And that's the key. That's the key. And so before we, I, I want to conclude with the final problem. That's the, the, the name of the message today. Um, by the way, um, that show, the last show of Sherlock Holmes, if you watched the show back then a few years ago, it was called The Final Problem. But in the book, Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, it's the story where Sherlock Holmes dies. <laughs> and he meant to keep him dead, you know. But... They almost rioted in the streets. It was London in the 1800s. So it was a polite riot, okay? But they were like, you got to bring him back. So he did in the return of Sherlock Holmes. But he meant to keep him dead. <laughs> the final problem, right, is that it's death. It's death. No matter what you think you've achieved, the preacher always comes back to that. Here, though, I want you to see the last verse of chapter 7. He says, see this alone I found. So this is important. If someone this much wisdom, he says, this is what I found. God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. 
He, he says, I've noticed God made you in his image. He made you good. He made you with wisdom. He made you to live out the right way, and yet we've screwed it up through our schemes, which is a nice, polite way of saying we have sinned. Because that's what it is, right? Like, God, I, <laughs> listen, you're kind of old-fashioned with the whole sexual thing, so let me just kind of, that's a scheme. Well, God, I, I know I'm supposed to trust you with my money, but I'm just going to cut this one corner. That's a scheme or sin. And so that is actually the final problem because the Bible says it is sin that brings death. That's not God's original plan. It was our plan because we decided to do it not God's way and do it our way. Later on in, in um, I'm going to go quickly through some of these. I want you to see the final problem. This is chapter 8, verse 6. He says, for there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. There's that phrase again. For he does know, not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit. No man has power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So he says, like, it's coming, right? It's coming. It's the final problem. But then he also looks at the world, and he says something that you know we've all said as well. He says, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man, man had power over man to his hurt. Our schemes hurt others, don't they? And then he says this about wicked people. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. What's he saying? He's saying, because I did all this evil and nothing seems to have happened from it, I'm just going to do more. In fact, we can look at the world like the great uh, uh, prophet Billy Joel and say, only the good die young. Right? That was him, right? Right? Yeah. Oh, look at our musician there. Yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, and... and, and um, and that's what, what, what he'll, he'll say that basically here. He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, <laughs> yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. That's the key, right? So what he's saying is, I look around the world and evil people get away with it. And it doesn't, it just seems like it prolongs their days and they're like, sweet, I'm just going to do more evil and I don't see any ramification of it. But here's what I know and here's what I believe, that there is a God and he will deal with it. And those, the only ones that are ultimately going to be okay are those who fear God, who obey God, who trust God, who walk with God, who want to do it God's way. The preacher Right? The preacher realizes that the final problem, while it's death, yes, but it's ultimately our schemes and the wicked, wickedness, it's sin. And he, and he looked in the shadowy of his time, I just know God's going to do something about it. But we live in a time where we know what he did about it and what he does about it. In fact, you'll probably see this reference if you look at uh, today during the game while someone's kicking a field goal. John 3.16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible for a reason, but I want you to let it wash over you how it deals with it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The final problem, you can do nothing about, but he did. He did. Because all of your schemes, all of your sin was paid in full at the cross. Jesus took your place. He paid it in full. But then, 
He died, was buried. Did he stay dead? He did not. He walked out of that grave and still alive today because he conquered the final problem, not just for him, but for you and me. So the question is, have you believed? Like there is, a, there is about, like he says, confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. But he also says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have to believe. And I don't know what's kept you from believing if that's you. But this isn't about becoming more religious, but it's about you saying, I'm done being on the throne of my life. I'm done thinking pleasure or wisdom because the final problem I can do nothing about. And yet God says, I dealt with it. Trust Jesus Believe in Jesus because he dealt with your final problem. Have you, have you believe? And when you do, you enter life. This is why sometimes I get in my own head and all these words come to my head and, 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 and I just need to stop and say, man, it's just about you, Jesus. The reason I'm not giving up is because of you, Jesus. The reason I don't have to fear the grave is you, Jesus. The reason this can work and will work in your time and in your way is you, Jesus. You. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I'm like a moron when it comes to this. But I have Jesus. Have you believed? I mean, really believed. Not just, yeah, I kind of assent, you know, accept a few facts that happen. No, I mean you've laid your actual yes of faith to Christ because he's the solution that the preacher was ultimately pointing to. Preacher just didn't maybe know it. We do. I want to leave you with the conclusion of this section because I know, looking around, that many of you would say, when I asked you the question, have you believed? You said, yes, I have. I know that. And so, did you know, when you put your faith in Christ, it's not just about your future assurance, it is, but it's also your present reality. It's you can now live, really live, even in your toil under the sun. He says, all right, here's what I commend you, all right? When it comes down to it, here's what you need, joy. Not happiness, not circumstance, joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So for us, looking back to the preacher and saying, yes, the joy of living is in Christ. Jesus didn't just die for your future. He died for your present. You now have the freedom to enjoy what God's given you, whatever's in that bucket, and to trust him. And to trust him. To say, Jesus you are my satisfaction. You, Jesus. That, that yes, I'm praying for that to happen and I want that to move in my life. And I do, I do, I do. But in the end, you're enough. You're enough. If you can get to that point in your life when you wake up and just say, Jesus, you're enough. I have you. I have you. Yes, I want this and I want that. I'm going to keep praying for that and, and I'm going to keep aiming for that. But in the end, whatever you might give me, you're enough. Pastor Bob reminded me of a scene. I don't know if you've been watching The Chosen Season 3, but little James, um, he's on a crutch, which is a cool detail they added, which we don't know, you know. Um, and he's on a crutch, and he goes out, and he heals a bunch of people on their mission. And at some point, he faces Jesus, and he's just like, what about me? And it was just such a moment where you just saw just like this idea that you have me. You have me. 
That's all you'll ever need. Believe and now walk in joy. Not happiness, joy. Because joy is in Christ. The solution to our final problem for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I think, um, Lord, I, I, I think of those who came in here not believing. And I know I can't make them believe. <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't preach good enough or teach good enough. But you, through your spirit, have the power to change a heart. And I ask you to do that right now. If there's anyone who came in here that just have never said yes to Jesus, they've never really believed that, that, that they would get off the throne of their life because they're burning their life to the ground, Lord, give them the faith to just say, Jesus, I believe. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. Lord, I know they have, I, I know, you definitely know, you're, you know their doubts, you know their fears. God, give them the faith to believe. Open their eyes. And Lord, help, give us the privilege to help them with the, whatever next steps that they need to take. Lord, I pray, I pray for those who came in and maybe are still a little bit hard-hearted about something they want to give up. They just are tired, they're done, and they want to give up. My heart cries out for them. I ask for you to give them a peace that goes beyond all understanding. I pray that you would give them an ability to trust you with whatever that situation is. I pray for you to give them the courage to seek out and try to get help in the right places. I pray that you would deliver them from whatever it is, addiction or problem or struggle that is threatening to, to cause them to, in despair to give up. Give them the strength, Lord, please. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, whatever areas of life that we're on the throne, that before we leave, we do business with you, we would confess that and we would just say, I'm done. Get on the throne, Lord God. And then we will just continue to confess that daily multiple times daily. I'm not God, you are. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in such a powerful way that we know you are enough. You're enough. It's your name that's enough. It's your power that's enough. It's you, Jesus, that are enough. And it's in that great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You're welcome to stand with us or sit, whatever. We'll just uh, worship God together. Let's do that now.